your Bibles and turn back to that passage in John 12 that we read just a little bit ago. Everyone in this room, in fact, in the world, everyone has a purpose, a reason why they live in this world every day. Uh, Your purpose as you might imagine, is what drives you and motivates you to get out of bed every morning. It's what compels us to weather the most turbulent storms and be willing to endure the most painful treatment and suffering. Pursuing your purpose is what brings people the greatest joys and happiness, the most lasting sense of fulfillment in their lives. Some people... And you might identify with this. Some people believe their purpose is to do whatever brings them the most pleasure or happiness. And for many, that means avoiding pain and difficulty as much as possible. I read, a, uh, came across on the internet a number of quotes uh, by famous historical people, for one reason or another, about what they think life is about, what its purpose is. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, The purpose of life is not to be happy, but to be useful. Eleanor Roosevelt said, The purpose of life is really just to live it out, to taste and experience as much of life as you possibly can. Another said, You were put on this world to achieve your greatest self. And what I found is that most people outside the church have come to the realization or conclusion that your purpose is all about you. It's all about some way making your life better, happier, easier, more enjoyable. You see, everyone has a purpose, but not everyone gets their purpose from the same place. You see, either you determine your purpose, or God determines your purpose. See, either you define who you are, and as a result, what you will be and do, or God defines who you are and what you will be and do. And see, this is for us as Christians, especially during Missions Month, this is absolutely crucial for us to understand for this reason, namely, that what your purpose is determines what you glorify. Let me say it again. What your purpose is will determine what you glorify. And just like everyone has a purpose... Everyone here this morning is glorifying someone or something. If you're not familiar with what glorify means, it means to make much of something. It means to value something supremely above all else. This is what you glorify. Often in scripture, it's even interchangeable with worship. You see, every one of us here today, we glorify something. Why? Because it helps accomplish our purpose. So let me say it to you like we would understand it in our day. If your purpose is happiness, that's why you live, so that you can be happy, you will do everything possible to secure in your life all the things that make your pleasure possible. You will glorify happiness as your supreme value. And you will be very upset in life if there is anyone or anything comes your way that upsets your pursuit of happiness. A a boss that doesn't treat you right, you didn't get the promotion. A sickness, a disease, some friend or loved one that doesn't treat you the way that you... See, if your purpose is to be happy, then you glorify 
you value all the things in life that bring that goal to its fulfillment in your life. If your purpose is success, that's why you think you exist. See, then everything and everyone in your life will be seen and valued by its relationship, for good or bad, to achieving and accomplishing that goal. So Jesus wants you to ask this morning, especially if you're a child of God, what is your purpose? You know why? Because that will determine whether you glorify him in your life or not, or whether you glorify yourself. You see, what is really, truly most valuable to you this morning? Now, I know you're in church, so I know what you would, should say. But let me ask you this. What is the truth? If we looked at your wallet, if we looked at your calendar, if we looked at your phone, what would your life really say about what you truly glorify? What matters most to you? What is supremely valuable to you? See, the series on the missions of must is all about this. It's telling us from Scripture about what Jesus' purpose was. And because we find out what his purpose was, we figure out what is most important to him, what he values the most, what is of supreme worth in his life. And then when we find out his purpose and what he glorifies, as Christians, we are to emulate that. We are to make our lives fit to that pattern. See, Jesus perfectly exemplifies for us in this text what his God-given purpose, not his self-defined purpose, but his God-given purpose is. And as a result of knowing that in the most difficult times of his life, i.e. the passion where he is giving his life, he is going to glorify God. He's going to show us how purpose and glory are connected. Two times... And one of them is in our text. In John's gospel, Jesus declares from his own mouth, here's the, my purpose statement. We've read the one in chapter 12. And let me see it, read it for you again in verse 27. He says, Father, save me from this hour. No, he doesn't ask God to save him. He says, but why would you save me from this hour? This is why I came, right? But for this purpose, see it? I came to this hour. My whole life, Jesus says, is coming to a climax and dying on the cross is why I came. So I don't run from it, even though it won't make me happy. It will not make me successful. In fact, it will make me look humiliated and weak. But that's what you designed for me. It's my purpose. He says a little bit more in chapter 18, the other one, if you'll turn there in your Bible, in verse 37. This is... Jesus talking to Pilate before the actual crucifixion would take place. So he's only a brief amount of time from fulfilling his purpose. But notice, it keeps him online. In the most difficult time when he could try to get out of it, when he could minimize why he came so it would bring him more happiness and ease, he doesn't. Why? Because Jesus is always on purpose. He says to Pilate, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. Watch, for this purpose. See, even in his most difficult time, he never moves away from it. It is always on his mind. Is that true for you? Are you on a mission of must for God to that extent that no matter what difficulty, no matter what problem, no matter hardship and suffering you face, you are always on purpose, he says. See, for this purpose I was born, for this purpose I came into the world, he says, this is what I came for. See, Jesus' purpose was twofold. 
It was tell people the truth, because he said, Pilate, if you hear my voice, right, you will know the truth. And to show people the truth. Let me ask, tell you this, how you respond in your most difficult days, how you respond when you lose your job, how you respond when the diagnosis is cancer, when, how you respond when people mistreat you, how you respond when things don't go the way that you had planned it and you get depressed and anxious. Let me tell you, when you, how you respond to those things will greatly demonstrate whether God is your supreme value or not. So Jesus says, I've been given a God-given purpose, so I have God as the supreme value of my life. And so he comes to his hour. Don't save me from this hour. Every time in John's gospel, and it's used 15 times, it's talking about the hour that he would die and give his life. And he doesn't want God to take it from him or get him out of it, is what we pray when we come to times like that. Have you ever said to God, hey, I know this is really difficult. I don't like what's happening. And this suffer- I wish I could change everything, Father. But here's what I want more than anything. Not get me out of it, but get glory from it. See, that's the difference in whether you have a purpose or not. See, Jesus says to the Father in verse 28, back in chapter 12, Father, glorify your name. That's what I want. Why? Because in every single must leading up into this point, every day of his life and everything in his life, his goal was this, I want you to be glorified. It didn't just happen on the big day, on the big events leading up to his crucifixion. No, it was what Jesus was. All the little musts that we've talked about, all through John's gospel, all point to this one must, his death and resurrection. This is what he came to do. This is what all of them mean. They all point to him. So let me say it to you honestly. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the climax of the mission of must. This is our message to the world. This is our testimony. This is our witness that the number one event in all of history that changes lives is the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So in our text, and I want to unpack them just one at a time, there are four reasons why Jesus' death and resurrection had to be a must. Four of them. Jesus gives us four of them. Two of them are negative and two of them are positive. We're going to unpack them a little bit at each one. So the first one in verse 31 is this. Jesus' death and resurrection defeats the world. That's why he had to die. That's why his death and resurrection was a must. Why? Because Jesus had to defeat the world. Verse 31 reads this. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Look right here. Jesus' death is the decisive dividing line in every human life, and in all of history. Now is the judgment of this world, Jesus says. I give the illustration, because my dad told me many times, because he was from Texas, about how Texas gained its freedom from Mexico. General Santa Ana had surrounded the Alamo, and you can still see it today. My mom was born in San Antonio. You can still go down that area, and it still stands. But there were 180 Texans versus 10,000 Mexicans and on that day. And they were fighting for their freedom. And the night before the battle, Colonel Travis, along with Jim Bowie and Davy Crockett, famous names from history, he drew a line in the sand with his sword and said, if you would fight for the freedom of Texas to the death, cross over the line. And out of 180, 179 men did. 
and they gave their lives. You see, every time someone draws a line in the sand with a sword, it is a symbol. It is a dividing line. You have to make a choice between polar opposites. For the Texans that day, it was whether they would live or die. Would they fight for that freedom or would they run? See, for God's people, Jesus' cross is the dividing line. It is the proverbial sword in the sand of our soul. And when Jesus says, listen, now is the judgment of this world. See, he divides people and, and there's a line there. See, you are either in the light or you're in the darkness. You either trust in Jesus' cross work or you don't. You're either believing and trusting in your own good works or in his work in your behalf. See, there is no in between. There is no gray area. It's completely black and white. And that's why the cross divides. See, that's what he did to the world. He came to the world and when he did, it repels and it attracts. And Jesus' judgment, Jesus' death on the cross brings judgment to the world. But get, listen, not just judgment at the end of history. When you think of judgment and Jesus' cross, you think of everyone someday standing before Jesus. Jesus says, no, it's not just then, it is then. Chapter 5, he says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Jesus talked about judgment. He was bringing judgment through his life and his death. 527 of John, he says, and he has given me authority to execute judgment because I'm the son of man. Verse 29, the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear my voice. And those will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil, listen, to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus made no, no, he he didn't beat around the bush whatsoever. He said, judgment has come in my life and in my death. And it will happen someday when I call every person out of the grave. But here's what he says. Look at the verse. Now is judgment come. See, Jesus says, don't wait to the end of time. The line in the sand has been drawn. The cross forces us now to make a decision in our lives. And Jesus wants his children to know. He wants us to know that if we follow him on the mission of must, we are in a world that is anti-Jesus and therefore anti-us. That is what you have to know going into the mission. But here's what he wants to tell us. But I want you to know, I have overcome the world. John 16, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, Jesus died to defeat the world. He died and he overcame the world through his death and resurrection. And if you have trusted him by faith, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, here's what John said. And by the way, John can't talk enough. The writer of this gospel have been with Jesus. He can't talk enough about Jesus and his overcoming. He talks about it in his gospel. He talks about his epistles. He talks about it in Revelation. Every one of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 have a phrase in it, the one who overcomes, the one who over. He can't stop because it impressed him so much that day when he realized Jesus overcame the world and he did it through his cross death. And so he says to us in 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. See, Jesus' death and resurrection doesn't mean he just overcomes the world. It means you do. And I do, if we have faith in him. See, that's what it takes to live out the mission of must. 
We have to have a kind of faith that realizes when we go into the world, there will be great opposition, but Jesus has overcome it all. And if we put our faith in him, see, we can take those risks. We can live those sacrifices. We can endure that suffering. Why? Because he and we have overcome the world. But there's a second negative reason of why Jesus' death and resurrection was a must. And he says it in the same Half of the verse is not only did Jesus come, his coming or his death and resurrection defeats the world, but it also defeats the devil. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. When you read the Bible, you kind of get the idea that it was all orchestrated. Things happened. Jesus died at the hand of the Romans. He was betrayed by his Jewish people. And all that is true. But can I tell you, as it was in their world, it is in our world today, there's way more going on than that. Ephesians 6 tells us that we don't just battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. There is not only a physical battle going on, there is a cosmic battle going on. Not just between God and man, but between God and Satan. In fact, on those, that, those days that Jesus was moving toward the cross on his hour, Satan was also on the move. He was also, because he wanted to undermine what Jesus was doing to bring salvation to the world. In fact, John 13, 27, just a chapter from where we are right now, it says, and Satan entered Judas. I mean, there are a lot of people in the Bible who are demon-possessed. But there is next to no one other than this one who are Satan himself possessed. He did not leave this job to one of his henchmen. He did it himself. Satan himself is out to destroy. See, the cross and Jesus' death and resurrection is a military must because there's a cosmic battle going on. And what Jesus' death and resurrection did is it defeats the devil. Why? Because it was able to strip away his power as the ruler of this world. John 14, 30 and 31 says, I will no longer talk much with you, he says to the disciples. Why? For the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. I love that. Satan is coming. He's going to throw everything he has at me. But he has no claim on me. Literally in the Greek it says, he has no nothing on me. In other words, you, he can't touch Jesus. Jesus is overcoming not just the world, but the ruler of this world. Jesus had to be lifted up on a cross why? Because the battle wasn't just against the world, flesh and blood. He had to die, and he had to not only suffer physically, but the worst suffering was spiritually. Why? Because that was our greatest battle. He had to defeat the devil. He had to defeat Satan's grip on us. It wasn't just that he was crucified by Jewish religious leaders or Roman political leaders, but cosmic spiritual leaders. But no matter what they tried to do to him, they had no nothing on him. They had no claim on him. The devil can't touch him. And can I say, praise the Lord, that if you know Jesus by faith, that he won't be able to touch you either. Romans 16, 20 says, and Jesus says, and I will crush Satan under your foot shortly. 1 John 2, 13 and 14, he talks to different groups in the church in his epistle, and he says, and you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 5.18, and he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. 
Revelation 12 and verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and they have conquered him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. You know how you have victory over the devil? Through Jesus' shed blood on the cross. That's why he, his death and resurrection was a must. John 16, 11, he says, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. See, right now, the Bible says that Jesus says there's judgment on Satan. He is cast out is the Greek word for exorcism. Jesus' death was a cosmic exorcism to exorcise Satan, that he had no more access to heaven, and he has no more authority. He cannot use his greatest weapon against us anymore, and that is condemnation. That you are not righteous and you are still in your sins. But because Jesus died and rose again, he is disarmed. See, he has been disarmed because we have been forgiven. Isn't that great? He has been disarmed because we have been forgiven. And right now, he has been cast out. But someday, he will be cast in. Revelation 20 and verse 10 says, For the devil that deceived him will be cast alive into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Oh, he has not finally been defeated. He's been cast out, but someday he will be cast in. You know why? Because Jesus died and rose again. See, our case in heaven is closed. Satan has been kicked out of the court of heaven and the folder with your name on it is empty. Why? Because Jesus saw his mission and his purpose, to glorify God by dying and rising again. Those are the two negative ones. Those are the, how the cross repels people. But the last two are about how Jesus attracts. His cross attracts. Someone has said that the cross of Jesus, his death and resurrection, is like a, a cosmic magnet. It, it, it just repels some people. They can't stand it. They don't want any part of it. But for others who are God's people, it attracts them. In fact, John uses the word draws them. Look at the text with me. And I, Jesus says, verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. This little phrase lifted up four times, two in our text, once in John three fourteen. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, John 8, 28, Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, you'll know that I am God. Isn't, is that an amazing statement? Have you ever thought this? Listen to this. That when you look at the cross and see Jesus dying, and not, let me not too graphic, but Jesus is publicly humiliated. It is a spectacle of the worst proportions. He doesn't have any clothes on whatsoever. He's hanging low enough that everyone could spit on him. And, and here's what the Bible says. Jesus said, when you see me lifted up on the cross, you'll know that I am God. In other words, when you look at me in that condition, you won't see any more clearly of what our God is like. See, that's why he came into this world. Jesus' death and resurrection was a must. Why? Because it is through that that he draws people to himself. Now, the text says he draws all people. The word all is not really in the text. It doesn't mean everyone, I mean, people's not in the text, but the word, it's not everyone universally, it's everyone who will trust in him. Why? Why is that important? Why is that Jesus draws people through his cross? Because here's the truth of the Bible. Ready? This is a little bit hard for you to understand or, or take in because it doesn't make you look good. People are not driven to the cross, they are drawn. You do not come to the cross 
You do not see Jesus in his glory. You do not see that you want him. You don't desire his forgiveness naturally. It cannot happen. You are not driven to it out of a sense of your own need. You are drawn to it. Jesus says in John 6, 44, he says, No one can come unto me unless the Father draws him. Why? Because of our sin. Romans 3.11 says, For there is none that seeks after God, not one. You know what? In our sin, we are blind to his glory. We cannot see the beauty of the cross. To us, it is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. And for others, as the Bible says, it's offensive. Jews, it was offensive. Greeks, it was foolishness. But 1 Corinthians 1 says, But to us who believe, it is the power of God. When we look at the cross, we're drawn to it. Everyone thinks it's hideous. But for us, it's the most beautiful thing that's ever been. See, that's how God works. In fact, look at verse 33. There's a little bit of a commentary on why Jesus makes that little statement about having to draw people by when he's lifted up. He said this. Why did he say this? To show what kind of death he would die. What kind of death? See, not that he was just going to die. See, it's important that you know that he was lifted up. He was lifted up on a cross. He was lifted up in public humiliation. He was lifted up in weakness. 1 Corinthians 13 says that he was crucified. 2 Corinthians 13, 4. He was crucified in weakness. Why? Why did he have to die this kind of death? Because he wants to show you who he is and who you are. The word show is the word we get for sign when Jesus did signs and wonders. It's used in 1237. In other words, John's gospel has seven miraculous signs, and they're all marked off by that word. And the climax of all the signs, starting with the wedding at Cana of Galilee, when he turns water into the wine, that was the first sign. There's all these signs leading up, and the final sign is Jesus' death on the cross. And here's what God says. You know why Jesus had to die that way? Because only God could draw a person to salvation when they look at him dying on the cross like that. Only God could overcome the unbelief that normally people would see when they look at him there. Only God drawing you would help you see the beauty of it. And then that's what you needed. You needed someone to take your weakness See, only God could overcome. Only God could allow someone to look at the cross and say, that's the way of salvation. The Jews thought it was a farce. Only crucified messiahs, failed messiahs were crucified. Romans crucified all criminals. How could a slave criminal be the savior of the world? He had no power. See, it's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us to come to this realization that I'm weak. That that looks like that's what it took to save me. See, I'm weak, and I can't come to God on my own. I I can't pull myself up by my own proverbial righteous bootstraps. I can't do it. And it's hard for us because we want to be strong. And we think that we have to come to God and be strong. Morally strong, financially strong, socially strong, spiritually strong. And so every religion in the world says, you know how I get to heaven? I got to do something. I got to be baptized. I got to come to the church. I got to give in the offering plate. I got to do nice things, nice things in society. I got to do this. I gotta do, and it's hard for us. Why? We can't handle. We can't handle the fact that we're weak. And to see Jesus portrayed in weakness just reminds us why he had to die that way. See, we can't be strong 
And when we try to be, we miss God's sign, his sign of that he had to be strong by dying for our weakness. See, can I say one more thing before I go to the next part of this real quickly? Interesting little phrase. And this he said to show what kind of death he was going to die. The exact same phrase with one change at the end is used of Peter in the very last chapter of this gospel. Jesus talks to Peter on the shore after he had denied him three times. And they're having this little breakfast together at the little fire on the shore. And Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And it breaks his heart that he had to ask him three times, which matches the three denials. And Jesus said, let me tell you something, Peter, if you reenact yourself to follow me. He says, someday... They're going to take you and carry you where you do not want to go. Right now you do what you want to do, but they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And then it says this, and Jesus said this so that he would show or signify, sign, what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Can I tell you this? When you follow Jesus on a mission of must, it's not just that Jesus has a cross. So does Peter, and so do you and I. See, it wasn't just Jesus who would glorify God in his death, who would make infinite worth of him, show how valuable he was by his death. It's us. He's given us a cross. So if you follow Jesus on the mission of mush, you know what it means? It means that you find him to be the supreme value in the affections of your heart. It means that he is uppermost above all else, and that your world revolves around him. Jesus said, that was my purpose, and when I died, I glorified God by living that purpose even to death. And Peter, if you want to follow me, let me use the same words so you'll know that what is true of me is true of you. So my purpose is your purpose. My mission is your mission. My must is your must. My suffering is your suffering. My values are your values. That's what it means to live out Jesus' mission of must. So that's the first positive one. Jesus' death and resurrection, see, it draws people. It magnet, is a magnet. It draws people to himself. Lastly, Jesus' death and resurrection was a must because he had to overcome the darkness with the light. Would you look at the last part of the verses in verse 35? The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. In the prologue, John 1, 1 through 5, Jesus, the Bible, gives Genesis language. God is like he's a new creation. Light came, Jesus was the light. And it says, and the darkness tried to overcome it, overtake it, but it couldn't. That is the whole story of John's gospel. How the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness tries to overcome it. The darkness tries to kill the light, but it can't extinguish it. Now, John 3, there's all the stories. The major stories are all about this theme. Jesus come, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and when does he come to him? At night, in the dark. John 6, 17, Jesus walks on the water to his disciples, and the Bible makes it clear when they were on the stormy seas, and it was now dark, and the light appears in Jesus. John 9, the man was born blind, and it wants us to know that he had not ever seen because he was born this way. Jesus came and shined the light into the life of a man who had never, ever seen the light. 
When Judas went out to betray Jesus and Jesus dismissed him in John 13, 30, it makes this little comment. And when he left, it was night. Because Judas was part of the darkness. When Jesus died on the cross, the writers of Scripture want us to make sure we know this, that darkness covered the entire land. See, darkness was doing its very best to overcome the light, overtake it, to vanquish the light and to kill it, right? But it never can. And on the day of the resurrection, in John 20 and verse 1, here's what the Bible says, that right before Jesus was resurrected from the grave by God his Father, here's what it says, and while it was still dark. You know why all those little comments are made there? Because here's the idea that, see, the world is in darkness and it tries to overcome the light. And the reason Jesus had to come and to die and raise from the dead on the third day was to overcome the darkness. So what does that mean for us? Here's what it means. That if we're on a mission of must with Jesus, and he's the light, he says, and you believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. That means you are light in him. You are a light reflector. And your job and our job on the mission of must is to reflect Jesus' glory and his light in a world of darkness. Listen, and how do we do it? Through a cross, see? We don't overcome the darkness with a sword. We don't overcome the darkness with a donkey or an elephant, and you know what I mean. We do not overcome the darkness with power and position. We overcome the darkness and shine the light with a cross. That's what we've been called to do. We are people who are called to walk into the darkness and shine the light And we may look like we are weak because the reality is we are. But here's what Jesus says. And when you're weak, then, then you are strong. Oh, we've been called to a mission of must. To take the light of Jesus into the world. To shine in a world that is so dark and seemingly, true, seemingly getting darker every day. But as someone said... The greater the night, the greater the light. Let us be that light for the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you sent the Lord Jesus into the world. That he might shine and reflect the light of your glory in his face so some might be drawn to him by your rich grace and mercy. Thank you for your sovereign good pleasure that we might become the sons of light. Oh, Lord, but just not basking in the light, that's not what our purpose is. It's not just coming to church and just taking and soaking in the light. We need to reflect it. We need to go to a world. We need to go where the mess is. And shine your light into the darkness. That was your purpose, Lord Jesus. That was your mission of must. And if we are sons of the light, it has ours as well. Help us, Lord. Help us to go into the world knowing this. You've defeated the world. You defeated the devil. You will draw people so we have some guaranteed measure of success. And ultimately, we are on the side of victory. God, with those propositions of truth behind us. May we go forward in the power of the Spirit to live out the must of Jesus. And may it all be for your glory and honor alone. 
For it's in his matchless and wonderful name I pray. Amen.